Hello, you sick, twisted freak. It's Monday. Great program for you. We go uh, to Australia to talk just a wee little bit about the police beatings that seem to be happening on the street in Australia now. Um, We also have some really important news about banking um, and what you should be concerned about, what you should be doing. A very personal message tucked in on the show today. We give you an update on the Nazarene Fund from the guy who is actually doing all the overseas work on it. We tell you a little bit about the FBI. We also tell you about the president's lawsuit. I mean, the former president, not this president. Lawsuit. I'm wearing my lawsuit right now. Um, we have his attorney on to talk about his lawsuit against Big Tech and Mike Pompeo all on today's podcast. Take a second, if you would, to subscribe to this podcast as well as Studios America every day. Five new episodes and you get it all free right here wherever you get your podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. you but i've been trying to follow what's going on in australia and i can't get any of the news stories to match the video um the the news stories say that it was a bunch of neo-nazis dressed as construction workers uh and the police did no wrong etc etc and that may be the story however the video i'm seeing i am seeing a video of construction workers you know, throwing bottles and everything else. But then I'm also seeing other videos where the police are just taking people off the streets and just beating them, you know, Birmingham style. It, it, I don't know what the truth is. Avi Yemeni is the Australia bureau chief for the rebel news, uh, a journalist in Australia that has been following this. Avi, welcome to the program. What the heck is happening? I know it can sound very confusing. I think it's also confusing for Aussies that are here. But I, 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 for Rebel News, was in amongst it from the beginning. And I can tell you right now, there's no Nazis there. It was um, the media really wants you to believe that and the unions want you to believe that. That's the narrative that makes it easy for them to avoid taking any responsibility. But essentially what happened in short is last week um, there was a mandate there's a mandate to be introduced um, for the construction industry. And uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of union members which feel like it's their union's job to represent and fight for their rights. That's essentially the one thing they pay membership for. So they decided to go outside the union um, headquarters, the construction, the construction union headquarters, and to speak to the union boss. Now, it was, a, it was about nine hours outside that office and the, they kept pushing off. The boss kept pushing off when he's going to come down and speak to his members until they gave an hour deadline. He'd said he was going to come down to talk to them and suddenly um, news hits this crowd, which ended up being by that point about 2,000 members strong, mostly 99% of them are construction workers, union labor voters, labor voters, which are like Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, So certainly not far right Nazis. And um, 
uh, suddenly the news hits the crowd that the boss is actually on the radio um, telling the audience, uh, telling the state that oh, it's just crazy far-right uh, extremist anti-vaxxers outside and he doesn't know what they want from him. So obviously that didn't go down too well with the crowd and that's where wow. the, the violence actually started. Now, the, the videos you're seeing the next day and the following day um, was an escalation by, certainly by the police and you had, once uh, the rest of the members had seen that, so the next day you had probably 10 times that number roaming the streets. Um, there was certainly violence on both sides, but having said that, um, you know, the, the police escalated to a point where they essentially turned their counter-terrorism um, capabilities on the civilian population, on these uh, construction workers. In short, in summary, I think the government um, overstepped it and, and picked on an industry that um, until now they haven't done an industry that would fight back and did fight back immediately and is continuing to fight back until for the previous 18 months it's been, you know, 70-year-old grandmas that have been pepper spraying in the face. And now um, now it's certainly a part of the population that won't take it lying down and uh, we can see how that that is working. We're seeing those videos you're seeing is, is just capturing those moments and so I, police are, are certainly coming in very hard to anyone. I want to show the video while we continue to have our conversation. There was some uh, video that I saw last night of some people that were uh, just pulled off the streets. Uh, they, they were walking down the street one side, and the police uh, come from across the street and just push this guy. Another one wings him down to the ground, and they just start beating on him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, this is a... This is a different one but here's oh my God. here's the police beating on this guy play the other play the other clip please can you play the other clip um hopefully so they're stopping anyone that obviously looks like a, a yeah. construction worker by myself going for a walk trying to get back to work so, so you're here for a late lawful reason lawful reasons always the cops with the guns just one of them looks at me to sprints across the road and they just drop me all like five on top of me just smash me for no reason so why'd that pull you up oh just 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 for being here basically yeah are you within your 10k's yeah and... i live in south melbourne i've just walked here my watch is still going 4.2 k's <laughs> stop for a second that's the guy who was beaten uh down to the ground you remember talking to him avi the guy with the orange hat yeah, by course. any chance okay of course, he's a construction worker, and that's the story we're hearing from all these construction workers is that they're, they're being targeted because essentially the government, when that uh, escalated outside the headquarters, the, the government shut down the entire construction industry for what they said was going to be a snap two-week um, lockdown for that industry. Um, and so basically anyone walking around looking like a construction worker was fair game for the police. And there's been zero accountability. We've seen throughout this pandemic, the police um, are, are think they are above the law at the moment um, with their new emergency powers. So if you look like a suspect, they will beat you and ask questions later. How are the people in Australia reacting to this? Are they buying into the Nazi thing? 
I think for the first 24 hours, yes, the um, the government, the media, the uh, union certainly um, held the, had the narrative uh, down pat. People believed it. Um, but to be fair, um, <laughs> when people saw the Rebel News story where we actually interviewed, you know, everybody in that crowd we were walking around just interviewing it and it became quite clear that they were union members. And the, ne- the very next day, they changed the way they spoke about the crowd and suddenly they were talking about, um, you know, elements that were far right and far right provocateurs. I think that that was uh, probably uh, their way to blame me for this, <laughs> for their issues. But the, the, the fact of the matter is um, it, it, it very much was an organic um, explosion of outrage um, that they brought onto themselves and they have no one but themselves to blame. And I think uh, the, the government misjudged it. It was, it was, uh, you know, they got away with it for, for 18 months in, in Melbourne. We've been in lockdown. We are the most lockdown city in the world, most lockdown with the harshest restrictions. And people have complied. But now they've taken on an industry which, you know, these are people that live paycheck to paycheck. Take away that paycheck um, you've given them no other choice but to stand up and, and fight for it. So, so uh, what, what is coming towards Australia? Uh, common sense and uh, a reversal of these things or chaos? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a tough question. You know what? The last, uh, the last week certainly indicates chaos is coming. And uh, I'm hoping at the end of it, whether it's chaos or or it settles straight away, I'm hoping common sense is what does prevail. Well, I saw the um, the video of the police running into the city park, firing into the backs of people, you know, rubber bullets. But they were still firing rubber bullets into the backs of people as they were running away from the police. I don't think I've ever seen Absolutely. that. I, 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 listen, I, it, Glenn, I've been in war zones and some of the stuff I'm seeing here in Melbourne, um, I, I just cannot believe my eyes. I've, I've, I was covering a, a, a peaceful march of those construction workers and they were literally walking, you know, probably a thousand strong walking, um, peacefully marching, you know, chanting. And out of nowhere, these armoured, you know, vehicles that you see at the front lines of a battlefield suddenly confront them and counter-terrorism police run out of the vehicle and start firing indiscriminately into the crowd and firing tear gas, throwing tear gas canisters. It's just, it's it's incredible. And to think that, you know, all these uh, tools that they've been given over the last few years in the name of, uh, you know, counter-terrorism, is now being used on the people, the people that funded it to protect themselves through their taxes. Um, it, it's scary, and it makes you think. All the things that they're passing now um, under the guise of public health, what is it going to be used for next? Just like they they're using, they're misusing and abusing counterterrorism things. It's it's it, it's an eye opener, and people need to wake up. From Rebel News in Australia, Avi Yemeni. Uh, Avi, thank you so much. Please stay in touch with us because we can't we can't make heads or tails from it here. 
Anytime, mate. Thanks Thank for you. Me. You bet. Rebel News. You can follow Rebel News. Rebelnews.com.au for Australia. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. The guy who is running the operations for the Nazarene Fund overseas, this particular um, rescue operation over in Afghanistan, I think is the Oscar Schindler of this moment. His new his name is Rudy Atala, um, and he is um, he's working 22 hours a day every day. I don't know how he's keeping up with everything. And every time you try to talk to him, he's got 14 different uh, crises that he's he's trying to work through. Uh, thank you for spending a couple of minutes with us, Rudy. I know you're busy. God bless. God bless. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, much appreciated. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to see if you could give us any kind of update on what is happening overseas and when what we're able to do or if there's anything uh yeah well uh we're on <clears throat> rescue operations are still ongoing um it's it, things are not moving at the same pace as before the taliban is uh, is taking control and trying on one side to show that it is a legitimate government um and then on the other side of course it continues to do all the things that uh in, you know, we know the Taliban does uh, lopping off of hands and, and hanging people, killing people, raiding people. Um, so we've, we've been operating in this environment, trying to be extremely careful. But we uh, continue to uh, to find Americans. We continue to find people that need our help. And then uh, in that process, uh, we haven't stopped getting people out of the country. It's just gotten a little bit slower than before. And it's not like we're going around looking for them. There's many still in safe houses, or can you Correct. say? We, yes, we, they're, they're scattered in, in safe houses in various regions and areas. Uh, we talk to them directly, and then uh, when, we get, when we get names, we're very careful at uh, taking names and getting uh, solid information. We do our own vetting process on the backside. Uh, of these individuals, we make sure that we we are they're tied to in the other individuals, people that we know of or have heard of. So we do our due diligence, um, and then once we get because the Taliban is trying to infiltrate many uh, chat groups, many uh, you know organizations that are trying to uh, sim, are doing similar things. Uh, so I'm extremely careful with my guys on how and who we rescue, just making sure that uh, what we're doing is proper. And did you see the political article that came out this weekend, Rudy? I did. I did. It, yeah. it uh, was saying that the FBI is going around, and if this is true, and I just don't know what to believe because of the Justice Department today, but I agree with what they say their mission is, and that is to go into all of these groups and make sure that nobody's ripping people off, that nobody's, you know, human smuggling. Etc. Etc. One hundred percent, and I think it's necessary to do so. Um, uh, unfortunately, we have uh, a lot of groups and organizations that jump into these things, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, trying to do the right thing. But there are a lot of uh, steps that need to be taken. The first thing I did is when we started this 
this whole rescue operation as I reached out to our legal team that, uh, that specializes in working with the Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC. And I, I sat on the phone with three lawyers, and I said, please advise OFAC um, what we're doing and how we're doing it. So we went through multiple iterations of that. And we are covered by OFAC. I made sure that OFAC knew exactly what we were doing, who we were dealing with, how we were moving money. Uh, the official answer for me from our lawyers basically said that OFAC officials have indicated that they would not take a, they, they would take a non-enforcement posture with respect to uh, anybody dealing with evacuations currently out of uh, Afghanistan, but we have to be careful where the money goes to and who it goes to. So that's another end where I work closely with our finance team to make sure that every single dollar that we move is going to an entity that's well known. It's, you know, that there's nothing nefarious going on there and everything is reported. So we are above board, but we're, we're one of the few organizations that has done that. Um, I've done this in, in Syria when we operated there. I've done this in other countries. And I'm very particular about this, this area um, and just making sure that all our T's are crossed and all our I's are dotted for every reason. I mean, the last thing we want is DOJ breathing down our throats for doing something stupid. You were, you were in charge of the Somalia evac for the government, weren't you? I, I was not the person in charge, but I did work the Somalia evacuations in 92, 93, correct, yes. And what other ones have you worked? I've worked uh, Liberia, I've worked uh, Ivory Coast, I've worked on, um, you know, on uh, Sudan. So you've, um, you've seen these yes. many times up close and personal. How does this one, oh, com yeah. how does this one compare yeah. to ones that you've seen before? I, I would say compared compared to what I've seen, this one was an utter disaster. I mean, it's on a on a scale never seen before. Because normally, when you do a non-combatant evacuation or a neo, it's fairly well um, again organized because the delegation goes to the Department of Defense essentially to take in the right measures. Because you're you're basically the, the, a country goes into almost a chaotic stage or combat zone. And the Department of Defense steps in and, and has very specific measures and what they do and how they do it. And they work closely with the, the State Department. In this case, everything was flipped upside down. It, it, was, it, it was the State Department and the driver's seat and the Department of Defense had already pulled out. It, it was backwards. And, and this is why we got into the, the, the mess that we're in today. And now we're still picking up the pieces. And I unfortunately feel like we're going to be picking up the pieces for many years to come um this political article says one person familiar with the call said the fbi doesn't want groups offering bribes or paying the taliban to evacuate people from afghanistan as those practices raise human trafficking concerns further this congressional person said one of the groups that received a call was glenn beck's nazarene fund Beck has brought attention to his organization's activity, praising Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan on Twitter for acting on his willingness to assist. Nazarene Fund didn't respond for a comment. Um, yeah. What are they? What are they saying here? That we're they're mixing two. They're mixing two things. So we never ever ever get into any bribes or paying anybody. 
again, uh, any, every single penny that we, we spend or pay somebody, we make sure that our OFAC lawyers know and that we're above board. The, the, the Imran Khan piece was very, it was necessary. When we looked regionally for people that can influence the Taliban without money, um, the only regional actor that was able to do that is Pakistan. Essentially, if you go to like, you know, you have different Gulf uh, countries and other countries that are dumping money on the Taliban. We stepped away from those countries. Mm-hmm. The only country, the only country that did not offer or does not offer any bribes or money, is 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 Pakistan, and they carry a big stick. Now, a lot of people feel uncomfortable with Pakistan because of of its of its past. But unfortunately, the way things have unfolded, there's no no other real big actor in the region. The State Department and our government did not leave us any choices of, of you know, they're not helping us in any way uh, move people. So what we did is we simply asked, um, you know, through channels, proper channels, uh, for Imran Khan to see if he can weigh in and allow the Taliban to allow our people to go. But there was no money exchanged. There was nothing. It was simply a letter to letter verbal. You addressed it on air. And that, that was it. And they made a, a few phone calls and certain things happened. And then we were able to get people out. And in many, in our case, you know, we've been able to get very high at risk people. We've already gotten uh, the leaders of the underground church out of Afghanistan. We've gotten wait, wait, wait. That's, that's an that's an announcement. I knew that. Can you make that? Can you clarify what that was? This is this a big deal? Yes, I mean there are there were leaders there were leaders of the underground church, Christian church, that were in stuck in Afghanistan, and we, uh, you know, we with through proper channels, we were able to get them out without them being whisked away and, you know, uh, all the promises that the, the Taliban wanted to catch these people and burn them and their families alive publicly. Uh, thank God they're out of, out of harm's way. And, uh, you know, we worked hard to do that. But again, you had to, we had to use diplomatic channels to pull these people out. We, I mean, there are Americans we pulled out. We promised to Britain. We got Americans out. We've gotten, we've gotten at-risk women out. And, um, it took a lot of effort, and there are things that we could not talk about at the time that it was happening because it was extremely sensitive. Um, everything we've done has been above board, um, and we've never, you know, there's there's nothing hidden. There's nothing uh, in, in terms of, you know, back yeah. payments or whatever. None of that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, I uh, as a member of the board, I know that we have been very, very clear. Nothing, even the appearance of anything that is that is not right we want to stay a million miles away from from any of that um and just uh, trust in god that uh he'll make things happen um one more thing rudy i heard this weekend and this is going to embarrass you but it it shouldn't um uh i've heard that you are unwilling to take any salary for what you're doing is that true Yes, sir. It is true. That yes, is, sir. first of all, you got married, what, I think six days into it. You haven't, you've barely even seen your, literally barely even seen your wife. Uh, and you just got married. Um, and now you won't take it. Uh, salary. Why? 
Well, it's the proper thing to do. First of all, I, I'm, I'm blessed that I have a wife that's very understanding. She said, just go do what you need to do. And when the dust settles, then we'll just go out on a honeymoon. And she's been awesome and very supportive. But I, I'm not taking a salary because I feel like if I was in, in people's shoes on the other side, I would want somebody to reach out to me. And yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up as a, as, a, as a Christian in Lebanon. I was a persecuted Christian. I know what it's like to be on the other side of the fence. And for me, it's personal. I, I want to make sure that, you know, the people that we help uh, are, are people, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, we're helping desperate people. I always cling to Proverbs 2411. You know, the Bible is very clear about helping those who are stumbling to death or, or to the slaughter. And, uh, you know, from my heart, all I want to do is, is just is, is rescue as many people as, as I can. And, you know, given the fact that you and I are tied together and your listeners are so generous, we were able to, to do some great, great work. And I think we still have a lot of great work to do. And, and I'm, I'm willing to put everything on the line for it. You're a good man, Rudy. You're a very, very good man. We're blessed to have you working with us. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank but you for everything. God bless. I would ask that you would keep that man in your prayers. And if you would like to donate, we could still use your financial help. Uh, Nazarene Fund, the NazareneFund.org or MercuryOne.org. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Former CIA director, uh, former U.S. Secretary of State, and chairman of CAVPAC, and also the co-chair of the National Republican Redistricting Trust, Mike Pompeo is with us. Mike, you really need to get a resume. Uh, <laughs> Good morning, Mike. Great to be with you. Good to be with you, sir. Um, thank you for coming on. I want to talk to you about redistricting, but I have to ask you a question on a story that broke yesterday. Uh, from Michael Isakoff, so take it for what it's worth, that says that the gist of the article, you were so obsessed with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks that you and the president were, were looking at really aggressive methods, including kidnapping or an assassination. One scenario included a possible shootout with Russian agents who you believed were going to try to get Assange for themselves. Uh, Glenn, I've seen the piece. I knew they were writing on this thing. Uh, I'd say three things. First of all, it's it's a cop. We, we've seen uh, he was a big Russia hoax perpetrator. Yep, he was. Yeah. So so, so take take that for what it's worth. Second, uh, there are many stories out there now about how the president and I were engaged in things that were crazy. Right? There's just talk about that there was an effort to drop a nuclear weapon on China in the last week's administration. This story is of that same ilk, right? Just I, I couldn't tell you who they have as their sources, but those sources didn't know what we were doing. And then the third point, I guess, Glenn, is we were we were very worried about the fact that we had bad actors who were stealing really, really sensitive material from the United States. And I, I, I make no apologies for the fact that we and the administration were working diligently to make sure that we were able to protect this important, sensitive information from whether it was cyber actors in Russia or the Chinese military or anyone who was trying to take this information away from us, not just commercial stuff like intellectual property theft, but real national security secrets. And so we were working hard to go after those bad actors who were trying to do that. So was Assange and WikiLeaks, are they uh, are they journalists in a media outlet or a 
or a hostile intelligence entity. So I came to believe that they were, in fact, the, one of the first non-state hostile intelligence entities. They weren't mm. engaged in even crappy reporting like Isakov does. They were they were engaged in <laughs> active active efforts to uh, steal secrets themselves and pay others to do the same in a way that violated. Uh, but the central understandings that I think the American people get and second violated U.S. law as well. We we were always careful. Um, I'm all about a big, bold, strong First Amendment, but these folks were acting in ways that were deeply inconsistent with that. Okay, they're redistricting now, um, and these last for 10 years. Uh, as they draw the district lines in 2021 and 2022, they'll be in place for 10 years, and that's how we elect uh, officials, uh, and it's embarrassing the way they snake uh, through... Uh, uh, districts, quite honestly, um, you you are coordinating the national redistricting strategy for the Republicans. Tell me what you're doing and why it's so important. So, Glenn, the last time we did this now, coming on 10 years ago, the Republican Party went uh, full hibernation mode. We, we just we played victim. We screamed at the Democrats for behaving badly and then suffered the consequences of this where they drew maps that just couldn't get conservatives and Republicans to win. Sure. And so my, my, my view is enough. I want to crush them. I want to make sure we get fair maps every place we go. We, look, we've seen what happens when Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in charge with uh, Democrat president of the White House these last eight months. We have to make sure these maps are right and fair. And I want, I want state elected officials who, in the end, get to make these decisions, Republican state elected officials, to say, no, we're going to be serious about this. This is a decade-long decision we're making. And if the Democrats threaten to sue, bring it on. We're going to make sure we have fair maps and we're going to provide the resources and intellectual firepower to help those state elected officials litigate against these Democrats. It's, it's a program on the other side run by Barack Obama and Eric Holder. Enough said. They're really the one running the show, aren't they? Isn't Barack Obama and his people really running everything now? On this redistricting effort, it's very clear. President Obama has gone out and fought for maps that if you showed them to the average American, regardless of their party, they'd say that's crazy. They're deeply unfair. By the way, they don't reflect what, Glenn, you and I know, right? One, one person, one vote, right? They're just, they're just fundamentally indecent. And so what, what we can't do is complain and whine and do nothing. We have, to, we have to articulate our vision and then go out and fight and crush and never give an inch and fight these battles and win them and get fair maps for so that we can get conservatives elected. You know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, towards the end of their lives, uh, they were corresponding with one another. And um, they said, you know, this is going to fail. And they said, yes. The other one, yes, but the people will see what we were trying to do. And the other one said, we should have put more Leviticus in it. And apparently what they were talking, <laughs> what they were talking about was, the idea of stakes that w districts should just be blocks of, you know, 500 or a thousand people and they should just be blocks. And those blocks just keep breaking up uh, as the population gets more and more dense. That would stop all yeah. of this, wouldn't it? It, it would. I'm, I'm familiar with that debate. Uh, they went at it. Uh, hammer and tong for sure. Yeah. They got a Senate that was represented by states and then the, you know, the deal to allow equal representation for the population in the House of Representatives. There were big fights about this. Here's what we know today. Today, not only Democrats and progressives, but even the courts have permitted these districts to be drawn in ways that are partisan and that reflect the, the worst of factions that those very founders were trying to right. bust up. We, we, we shouldn't do that. We should go back to a more traditional set of understandings 
Uh, they, they create the Democrats create these commissions that have this veneer of nonpartisanship. They'll put five Democrats and two Republicans on the commission. We get rolled. We just can't let that happen. Uh, we cannot let them draw districts, not just, by the way, not just at the federal level, but county commission districts, state legislative districts. These things all matter for a decade. I'm convinced, Glenn, that with fair maps, the conservative voices will be heard and we'll have good things happen so all across America. This is why we have people like Nancy Pelosi in, because the districts are so crazy that they don't represent the 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 truth they represent uh a line really that snakes around to try to capture the people they want to capture and so the districts become more and more extreme even if that district is not extreme do i have that right absolutely you absolutely have it right take a look at what's going on in california where they control the state legislature and the governorship they're going to draw out a couple of members of Congress, or at least they're contemplating it, who won in close races last year. They'll make it nearly impossible for them to continue to serve and, frankly, to reflect the values of the people that they've been tasked to represent. They'll make these liberal districts. They'll make them uh, 55-45 Democrat, and uh, they will try, as they might, to hang on to this little bit of power because, in the end, Glenn, it's all about power for the progressives. And we have to make sure that these fair maps pre- prevent that from happening for another decade. Is How much does the uh, census play a role in this? Uh, it's a big deal. It obviously drives the data set that gets used in litigation and for state legislators to make their decisions. So, you know, the fact that there were questionable outcomes from this past census uh, you, certainly concerns me. Can you go into that? Because I don't think most people paid attention. That happened when everybody was talking about the election. Well, there are two things. One, there was a big court case. Uh, Secretary Ross had filed a court case. There's a a lot of argument that says that the Constitution only intended citizens to be counted as part of the census. We were unsuccessful at that. So now you have census decisions. That is how many members of Congress one state gets and decided on how many people are there, even if they're here illegally. Uh, And then the second thing, uh, the the timing of the release of the census and the contents of the census (laughs) Uh, we're all, in the end, controlled by the Democrats, and this will this will make it easier for Democrats, and that's why the work that we're engaged in is even so much more important. So um, what do you need from people? Anything? No, just uh, I, we need them to encourage their state elected officials, their state assemblymen, their state delegates, their state representatives, their state senators. Get a backbone. Be tough. Don't give in. Don't just say, oh, goodness, this won't happen. This won't affect me. It affects every family all across America. Make sure that we're watching what's going on in this redistrict. If they see it coming off the rails in their state to raise the flag and we will come to provide the support they need to get fair maps so they can actually make sure their vote matters. Mike, can I ask you two questions to jobs you used to have? One, uh, I don't I don't know if I trust. I don't know what to trust anymore. I don't trust our Justice Department. I don't trust our intelligence community anymore is it, can you talk me off the ledge or sh- uh, should i be on this ledge so here's my here's my best and i, I i'll speak for the organization i ran I, I i saw what happened to the fbi it became deeply politicized i also saw that there was risk that happening at the other intelligence organizations including the one that i ran at cia I, my predecessor was a fellow named john brennan mm-hmm. he, he brought real politics into how they did analysis of the data that was collected my, my second observation is most of the folks who work at the CIA are good people. A lot of ex-military folks, a uh, significant piece of them, 
Uh, these are people who are trying to do their jobs, execute on behalf of America, make sure we have good info for our decision makers. But if the political leadership is corrupted, if the people who are appointed and the people who are confirmed decide to drive politics down into whether it's uh, the Justice Department or the FBI or any intelligence agency, this is where it comes unhinged. We, we saw that at the FBI. We've seen it in the Department of Education Civil Rights Division. We've seen it. We, we, want, we want good people with sound values leading those. And it's why these elections ultimately matter, because the people presidents put around them drive into those systems and processes. And people ask me, because we were involved over in Afghanistan, people have asked me, Glenn, is the State Department, why would they intentionally thwart all of these things? And I answer the same way that I believe there are good people in the State Department. In fact, I know there are because there are some people that are helping, um, but they're at the lower levels. On the other, I, I can't give you an answer other than, you know, if it was incompetence, occasionally things would break in America's favor. And they don't seem to. <laughs> no, uh, this is policy. These are decisions that President Biden and his senior team made in Afghanistan. And I'll pause there for a second to say, bless you for the work you're doing, helping folks get out, helping Americans get out, helping those who we made promise to get out. It is critical work. Don't give up. Thank you. A handful of groups doing it. I, I know you know this. There's a handful of other groups doing it, too. Yeah, we do. should all figure out how to work together. We are. To get folks out as quickly and as capably as that. So bless yeah. you and, and stay in that fight. Thank you. But you've, you've run into it. You've run to it at senior State Department levels where – they just need a clearance to fly or they just need a single piece of paper well within yeah. the simple capacity of the State Department to deliver. And there is a down on from high decision not to do that. I can't explain it. I also can't articulate why they made the set of decisions they did around closing programs, pulling the military out before the civilians. These are unexplainable. And I think they they drive to a deeper misunderstanding of who we are as Americans. Oh. Mike, thank you very much. Um, we'd love to have you on again. We really, uh, I'm a big fan and I really appreciate well, everything that you've back, done. Glenn. God bless you. Thank you. Mike Pompeo. Na, 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 na.